the J Cut, and this is the K Cut, movie podcast for movie fans. My name is James. I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul. I'm one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast. Uh, I've contributed articles to Films with Tal, and my specialty is no-budget cinema and 70s cinema. I'm Rachel. I'm a huge fan of world cinema, silent film, lost film, and the golden age. And I have recently relaunched my Films with Tal column on world movies. It is called, predictably, The World of Movies. But it's a lot of fun. I hope you guys all go check it out. Yes, it's a very happy return to that column. Um... My name is Andreas. I am heavily into world cinema, art house cinema. Um, I created and am one of the writers over at Films Fatale, and I chose the topic for today's episode of The Gay Cut, so welcome. Happy to have you on board. Uh, today's topic, uh, you know, it's funny that you bring up the world of cinema, Rachel, because this almost feels like a topic that you would have conjured up, but I apologize for we're taking it first i don't know why i was thinking about this topic i think maybe working at tiff i do work at the festival each year and i saw all of this uh, international cinema coming in from france china japan and but even like some interesting like places that we typically don't always get like pakistan for instance it just got me thinking about global cinema but not just stuff that we're into like other like stuff from other countries but what also makes us feel like you know these are films that speak to us you know when it comes to how we view ourselves culturally or where we've lived or anything to that nature so that was kind of a loose question i asked for the first half what is a film that makes you feel like you're kind of right at home whether it's a place you used to live um a nationality uh, culture that you experience on a, on a regular basis, or even just, hey, I'm from this town and this reminds me of this area. Um, in the second half of the episode, I want us to get a little bit more adventurous. So what is a film that God is really interested in a remote area or culture or language and made us want to kind of study that cinema or place and or language or culture more? So let's get right into it. Who wants to go first for... Um, Something that reminds us a little bit about ourselves. I'll go. Okay. Well, I took this very literally, and this film is actually where I came from. So, um, not literally, I was not born from a film, although it might, might seem that way sometimes. But <laughs> uh, this is My American Cousin, and you may have heard this before because I shouted it out for a random wreck once, but it is really an interesting movie, and I think you guys should learn more about it. So, My American Cousin was from the mid-80s, but it takes place, I think, in the 50s. And it is one of very exceedingly few films, and certainly the only major film I know of, that was filmed in my home region and was set in my home region of the Okanagan Valley in British Columbia, Canada. So it's an area about five hours inland from Vancouver. It's famous for wine and very warm weather. It's kind of like Northern California or the Mediterranean. And so it's this weird little pocket of Canada, but it is quite far from any other major cities. And so there is a bit of an isolation to living there in some ways. And so it's quite rare to see a movie come out of this region. And My American Cousin is about a girl who's maybe 12 or 13, which is the age when people are statistically likely to be the most bored. And um, she's living her life in Penticton, about an hour away from where I grew up, and she's just having your typical summer, hanging out with friends, helping out at her family's home, going to the beach... And in this beautiful little slice of Mediterranean paradise in Canada. So growing up, 
in that region, Ezetane was always a little bit... I don't want to say dull, but maybe you had the sense that all the exciting things went on somewhere else. And one of the most glamorous areas, especially back in the 90s when things were riding high, was the United States. So this movie is about the arrival of the girl's cousin from uh, from America, I believe California. And he brings in this excitement and this adventure that this girl has never experienced before because she comes from this small town. And so not much really happens in the movie. It's just mostly them having adventures with a group of friends. But it's got this real feel that is as close as I can think of to my childhood, even though it took place decades before I was born. That whole feeling of the excitement is somewhere else, the eagerness to grow up and explore the world, and just that little touch of adventure when someone new comes in. It's a really, really fun movie. And um, I think it's floating around the internet, so you could probably find it. Um, And... Yeah, I spoke to my mother about it, and she wasn't even living in that region at the time. And she said, oh, yes, everyone in Canada saw My American Cousin back in the 80s. It's got a bit of a cult following now. Cool. No, that sounds exciting. I don't remember if you brought it up. When was the first time that you actually saw it? Uh, about a year and a half ago. Okay, so recently. Yeah. Okay. Um I think that sounds fantastic, and it really does describe a lot of what you like discuss on the pod and everything in general. Um, you know, you've brought up the Okanagan region a number of times, and um, you know the sense of discovery. I would say is very Rachel. Yes, it's a quiet place, and I think I think this movie really emphasizes its relation to the rest of the world. And again, it's one of the very few films I know of from that area, so. It's not only that it comes from there, it's that it reflects what it's like to come from there. I'm going to have to check that out. Um, James, what about you? What film did you select as the one that you personally identify with? So this was a... It's kind of a difficult one, because with my consumption of cinema, I this kind of topic isn't something that is something I really ever think about. Because, I mean, a lot of the times it's not really how a film relates to me. I kind of use it, like, people a lot of times use films as, like, kind of a way to escape or kind of a way to identify. I kind of primarily use it to plug into the minds of other people. So I never really think of myself. And also, I think culturally, like, my my family was never really big on culture growing up. I mean, on my dad, well, for those who don't know me, I, I, I'm a biracial individual. Now, my dad's side, um, he's a Caucasian side. Uh, they they really never really had anything big on their like you know Eurocentric roots, so I don't really know much about that. And then on my mom's side, the African American side, as we all know historically because of slavery, a lot of people don't really have roots or aware of those roots. So I decided to take a different angle, actually kind of similar angle to Rachel. Uh, I decided to pick the movie Thirty Minutes or Less, starring Jesse Eisenberg and uh, Aziz Ansari. Because it was actually shot in my hometown of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and also various places throughout West Michigan. Uh, it's kind of a corny comedy. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg plays a pizza delivery boy who gets wrapped up with these criminals. He gets a bomb strapped to him, and he's forced to rob a bank. And Aziz Ansari is like his best friend. And wait, I didn't quite hear. Does it also take place in Grand Rapids, or was it just the filming? Yes, it takes place in Grand Rapids. They even there's a lo- there's actually there's like a list of like places in West Michigan that are very identifiable for those who live there, which is one of the reasons why I like the movie, because they actually highlight places around there and not just shooting there. Like, you know, they, they make it clear they're in Grand Rapids. Um, Aziz Ansari's character works for Grand Rapids Public Schools. Uh, there's a various places like the 
like the pizza place. Uh, it's called Vito's Pizza that Jesse Eisenberg delivers for there. I I know that spot. Um, there's this place, Taco Boy, where they get tacos. Everybody from West Michigan knows where that is. Um, you know, there's a, the Grand Rapids Police Department, which obviously, if you're from Grand Rapids, you know there's a police department. Uh, there's a big chase scene down this street, uh, South Division Avenue, which, you know, going down it, I've been there, you know, numerous times throughout my life. So just seeing different spots that I know exactly where it is was just, it's really interesting because it's like, I'd never expect a film to be shot and take place in the place that I grew up. But it was also really interesting around that time because that was in a period where Michigan was offering a film and tax incentive for the industry. So there was actually several movies that were shot there around the same time. Uh, 50 cent actually came and shot a couple of the movies he did when he was doing movies for that short period of time. That's cool. Yeah, no, I thought that was just really cool. Like, especially it's like, you know, it's not just shot there. It's like, they very much are from this area. Like I said, though, it's not that great. I don't really necessarily recommend it. It's got a few laughs, but I know it's kind of sad because they got rid of that tax incentive. And I guess in recent months, I, I think they're try people are trying to push to get it back because it definitely was like there was a lot of things shot here around that time, and uh, it was providing all sorts of jobs. And you know, then they got rid of it, and I was like, why? Like this could have been my opportunity to like break into the film industry. Like, why'd you take all this away? I don't know. It was just really cool. I mean, I haven't really seen any of the other ones that were shot, but this one in particular, there was just so many things that I had been to. But I mean, it's not the first time that uh, somebody is kind of based in West Michigan um, or near the West Michigan area because American Pie is actually based on, um, I think, East Grand Rapids. Okay. So it's it's because uh, the guys who the guys who made wrote that in movie are actually from Michigan as well, like from the from from west michigan so it was like there was places there that i was familiar with like there's the um like the hot dog place to go to dog years is actually based on yesterdog which is in a place called east town so it's like you know i don't know it's just really interesting when it's like something's from where you grew up and you see these things and i was like wow that's weird because i was like i was just there like the other day yeah for sure i feel the same way with the tv show orphan black because uh as a lot of you are probably aware, um, a lot of things are shot in Toronto, but they pretend not to be. Um, so to hear an orphan black that, you know, people are in Scarborough and the very first scene, I believe, takes place at Union Station. You know, it, it's like this familiarity. You know, it's one thing to like notice and recognize a place being on TV or on film. And it's another thing to be like, wow, they're owning up to it. And it feels like I'm like there again, like actually there because they aren't beating around the bush. It's actually where it's shot. I think that's what I like most about when a movie's set in a particular place is you get a tiny little glimpse into what that place is like, even if the story itself is fiction. And we'll probably get more into that in the second half. But uh, when it is your hometown or your home region, it's that much more special. Absolutely. I didn't end up going with the uh, hometown or region, actually. Um, uh, I myself am Greek. I was born in South Africa, lived in Zimbabwe, uh, moved over here when I was a small child around the age of three or four. Um, but I have always identified as Greek as my family is Greek on both sides. Um, if my long ass name didn't really show that, yes, yes, I am Greek. Um, I've, I've visited Greece a number of times, um, specifically the island of Milos and obviously Athens, because Athens is like the center of everything. If you want to arrive to Greece or go anywhere else, you probably are going to go through Athens. Um, but even before I ever visited Greece, which was when I was a late teenager for the first time, um, there was a film where when I was younger, I did all of Richard Corliss's top time 100 films ever for like, again, for Time Magazine. 
And there was a film that I actually like was completely perturbed by that was on the list that I have grown a bigger appreciation for. And it's actually got a bit of a lukewarm reception, but it's like more beloved now. And it's by the greatest Greek filmmaker of all time, Theo Angelopoulos. It's actually one of his, uh, I think it's possibly only his English language film, like only one or one of the very few. It's called Ulysses Gaze, starring Harvey Keitel. Um, this is a 95 film. It's a brilliant odyssey, pun intended, to the center of Greece in order to find um, undeveloped film by the Manaki brothers, which are real filmmakers. Uh, like early silent Greek filmmakers. And Rachel, you're going to dig this because you studied film preservation like myself. Yeah, it's literally about trying to find lost film. And uh, Harvey Keitel plays a filmmaker himself whose name is simply just A. I'm guessing that's an initial for Angelopoulos as if it's like self-referential. And it's this titanic film. Like it's like three hours long, very... Um, Fellini-esque with its surreal yet poignant imagery and it's basically like this borderline surreal look at this filmmaker trying to get to the crooks of Greek cinema whilst being lost in his own cinematic visions and I think it's just a brilliant film. First off, nobody shoots Greece like like Angelopoulos does where everything is like the Greek flag. It's like the bluest skies and seas the whitest sand and debris in the air you just you could like feel the sea salt. It sounds like what David Lean did for Venice. Exactly, exactly. It, he, that's exactly it. You you really feel like you're there. Um, but continue. Well, in in any David Lean film, you feel like you're wherever you are because Angelopoulos is almost exclusively Greece. You always feel like you're in Greece. Um, so yeah, Ulysses Gaze. It's not like my all-time favorite film of his, although I like it more than I once did, but it was definitely the first film of his I saw, and I feel like I needed to understand him more to understand this film. It really is like a a personal quest to try and achieve the impossible by returning to one's roots in the heart of Greece and traversing the entire country um, and its many islands trying to find lost film, which, you know, I'm Greek and I love film. It just is a match made in heaven for me. Yeah, we should totally go visit the Greek film archive someday, hey? I well if it's any if it's indicative of what happens in this film it sounds like it's really tough I mean the film gets really bonkers on a surreal level where like um I don't want to give too too much away but there's like a, a part where he like almost dies by like a line of fire like just out of nowhere it just a, a lot of crazy stuff happens like this but it, all of the surreal stuff and that's what's especially important all of the surreal stuff is um pertaining to greek history itself like it stems from like many of the things that happened in it including war or agricultural related history it's as if he's not just traversing greece he's traversing its history itself which i think is really really clever that sounds like an amazing film and i'm absolutely going to look that up after this episode's done if it's uh, online reputation is any indication, it's not everyone's cup of tea. Like I'm pretty sure the Rotten Tomato score is pretty low, but some people who love this film swear by it. Like I, I'm pretty sure it showed at Cannes. It appears on the occasional top films of all time list, and it's the Angelopoulos, so I think it's a mastermind. So, and just because critics aren't fans of a movie doesn't mean it's not worth seeing. I think it's at least worth seeing. I don't know if you'll love it, but I think it's at least worth seeing. Now, that's enough about detailing ourselves. We could go in the same order. What is a film that wanted that got us wanting to research another culture, visit a place, pick up a language or two? 
doesn't matter, but sure, yeah. So mine, um, it appeared in the World of Movies column. Um, you know I'm having a busy week when I pick a World of Movies for this podcast. And um, it's called Ainu Mosir, and it's a film that takes place in Hokkaido, Japan, uh, which is in the northern region, and it is um, home to the Ainu people, who are indigenous people of Japan. And so the film's about a modern town, which is now dealing with tourism versus keeping their own identity as Ainu versus their larger Japanese identity. And so it's it's kind of a complicated series of questions in this film, but it all centers on this one boy and his village is about to hold a particular ritual, which uh, Japanese people at large tend to disapprove of and tourists tend to disapprove of. So it's this large question of, do they do this ritual or not? And the boy is not sure whether he's going to participate too, because he's wrestling with his own ideas about this. But it's a really fine coming of age film. It's beautifully done. And it really got me thinking about Hokkaido, which I never really thought of in the context of Japan. I think most people probably think about wanting to visit Japan at some point in their lives, but places like Tokyo and Kyoto get more press, I think. And this is a beautiful region in the north, very mountainous. And it's just, it looks exactly like where uh, British Columbia, where I grew up, actually, which is kind of funny. But the film is so beautifully shot that I thought, yeah, I might want to visit there someday. I might want to check out those mountains and the beautiful nature and the Northern Pacific area. Uh, but of course, the movie raises so many questions about tourism and whether it's how, to what extent it's healthy for the area that you do have to kind of wonder coming out of it. But I would recommend Ainumosa very, very much. It's quite profound and very good looking film. I like that you brought that up because um, I feel like I would always go like a more general area, uh, but you're really well versed in geography to the point that you're not just looking at countries, you're looking at regions and like towns and the fact that you picked something where it's not just Japanese cinema. It's like something that's like specific to like one portion of it and you can't really get that in a whole heap of other Japanese cinema. Exactly. Yeah. And anyway, I would recommend it very much to you both. And I think you might get interested in Hokkaido too from it. Yes, I, I do remember the article. I will definitely have to revisit it and actually watch the film itself. Where did it, out of curiosity, because I don't recall, where did it rank on your like um, overall list when you like ranked all of the films that you've reviewed? Somewhere in the middle, I think. But it's a very strong list because I tend to pick reasonably good movies, so... Yeah, as long as it's not towards the lower end, because I know there's like only like a couple of duds that you've like. It's covered. definitely not bottom ten. I don't think it's bottom twenty out of sixty-ish. Oh, there you go. That sounds good, James. What about you? Alrighty. So yeah, I was trying to think because like I've, I've watched I watched so many movies. It's like you know it's hard to keep track. Like, what do I want to like learn more about? And uh, I haven't I haven't done so for this film specifically yet. But and this kind of sounds strange, but I'm gonna go with the film Midsummer. Okay, because I, and I feel like it's a strange movie because it's like it's a folk horror film that has to deal with you know a, a group that kind of gets involved with uh, a cult that practices uh, Scandinavian paganism. But the thing I always find fascinating with folk horror is it's so ingrained in a culture that has like all these nuances. Like throughout the movie, you're seeing all these really interesting things as far as like you know, despite how disturbing you are, just like the culture and their certain rituals they have and the things they do, and it kind of gets me like always interested because i don't know like when i watch these things i'm like 
it almost i think being american it's it's really interesting watching other countries because it seems like there's such a more elaborate culture to them than i'm used to because like I, I don't know as far as like american culture is concerned it's always it comes it, it, it's always this like it's industrial in, in an industrial nature because it's like you know we're the, the country of big business you know and it's like we're just kind of a mixture of all these different cultures of people coming here so when i see something like midsummer i'm like i kind of want to know what's up you know it's like you know what 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 does swedish history has to offer and i know rachel you lived in sweden for a little while didn't you yeah a year and a half what was it like there it was great i should tell you midsummer parties don't usually go that way oh i mean <laughs> I would if, if they did we wouldn't have this pod with you uh, yeah. And I would so, like to actually, you know, I've been meaning to like kind of look into more like what like the actual like midsummer festival entails. I mean, obviously, all that the crazy stuff's not going to happen, but I don't. Know, I'm just, I, I'm always really interested in these cultures. It's like you know because it's they're almost timeless and they carry on for so long, and people still keep up these traditions. And it's like it, it's just so interesting because I'm, I'm not used to that because it's like America's kind of basic in that regard. We have the different holidays we celebrate, but other than that, there really isn't anything that I can say is like super fascinating or interesting that you know that isn't a derivative of something else from another culture yeah uh i think canada comes off the same way too because we have so many influences from around the world that it all becomes one thing in many ways but i i can't like if you want to talk about canadian cuisine i can't really tell you what that is i can tell you quebec cuisine i can tell you maybe a bit of atlantic cuisine indigenous cuisine but Canada as a whole does not have that sort of unified identity the way a country like Sweden might. Oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah, it's like America. It's like there's the, uh, there's an Americanized version of everything. And that's kind of what we're known for. I, I think like maybe the best representation of America being kind of nuanced is maybe old Westerns. I think that's kind of a snapshot where I guess we were kind of more unique. I mean, we did have kind of like a specific way of doing things. But I mean, I mean, you know. I guess when America was colonized, it was just kind of other people coming over here and taking over. We don't really have like, you know, our history is kind of like this mix and match of all these different cultures that, you know, and I I think it's great that we just have so many things. But it's like as far as being things purely American, it's like it's so basic and boring. But I see all these other countries, you know, just the art they do or the fashion. And I'm just like, wow, all these things are really interesting. Or it's like anything I watched from like East Asia. I'm just like, man, that place is like living art. Yeah, but I guess if you grew up in a place, I think most people would probably consider it boring and basic and, uh, you know, and, and the grass is always greener kind of thing. Who knows? Yeah, that That's for sure the case. The grass is always greener for sure because whenever – like not that I'm trying to find things to complain about, but I'm sure even like living in Sweden for a little bit, I'm sure you would love to go back and everything. But was there like anything while you were there where you were like, oh, yeah, this I'm not too fond of this? Not really, no. Um I will say it's very funny you picked a movie like Midsummer that to like inspire you about Sweden because as I have recounted in another podcast, I did move to Sweden because of the girl with the dragon tattoo, which also has a lot of crazy stuff going on. So really Swedish films just seem to spark this interest in people, even though the subjects can be quite messy. It's funny they picked Midsommar because I was actually going to pick a Swedish film as well. Uh, I was going to do um, Seven Seal by Bergman, so I'm just going to try and f- find something else to do quickly. Um, Wait, but... I'm the only one who wasn't going to pick a Swedish film? <laughs> what are the odds? Um, I do have a couple of backups. I'm just going to try and pick out which one. Okay, I'm going to go with somebody who I view as an old faithful, old reliable. Um one of my all-time favorite filmmakers who is not Igmar Bergman or not Wong Kar Wai because I want to 
here's this opportunity to stray outside of, of Asia as well. Uh, my backup backup option uh, is going to have to be something by Pedro Almodovar, who I think is the one of the greatest Spanish filmmakers of all time, uh, either so or right behind Louis Buñuel. But his films feel authentically like they come from Spain. And I'm going to go with the film Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Ooh, never even heard of that one. Woman on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown is a is a brilliant film. It's from the 80s. It's like his big breakthrough film. I think it's like maybe his third or his fourth. Um, it's a pretty hysterical dramedy, but most dramedies are kind of leaning more towards the drama kind of comedy. This is more comedic than dramatic. So it's kind of, again, it's hysterical where most of it takes place in like one room, one setting, one time period and it's just a lot of crap going on so what i feel the most about this film is that because it takes place in like one location you would think that it's kind of limited geographically um but at the same time that's kind of why i feel like i'm like in spain there because i'm not like traveling across the land going to all these places and sightseeing i feel like i'm like living here like i'm in a in a I'm in a domestic location and I'm seeing all this stuff happen to a good friend, potentially not just a character. It feels like this woman where all this stuff is happening to her at once, which I, I will dare not spoil because if you go into this blindly and you just see the complete mess that she has to deal with and her wacky resolutions, um, it's better to go in without any previous knowledge. But yeah, um, I feel like Omotovar's color palette just really pops in any film that he's done i've brought up a myriad of his films before but especially because this is from the 80s it's like you know it's 80s cinema it just 80s and 90s just like pops in a different way so it's like all these blues all these like these tomato reds and i just love it it looks like living almost like living pop art while all of this nonsense is going on it's just it's just incredible well, Amaldivar is always a really good pick, and this sounds like a fine part of his ode. Yeah, if if you haven't seen it, I would definitely, what I have claimed before, maybe even on the pod, is that he's done a masterpiece each decade. I would feel like in the 2020s, he's already fulfilled that with Parallel Mothers, which I absolutely adore. Um, in the 2010s, there's Pain and, Pain and Glory. In the 2000s, there's Talk to Her, and Volver is a close second um, all about my mother in the 90s but his first masterpiece back in the 80s is this one so if you're a fan of his i think it's an absolute must easily in his top five films ever and if you're leaning more towards his funny stuff as opposed to his serious or surreal or kind of complex stuff this is like untouchable it really is like his most amusing film sounds like you're cooking for the smorgasbord ah yes or you could just watch it before i get there so I can give you something that you're not expecting. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I've never actually visited Spain. Um, I did learn a little bit of Spanish when I was younger. Um, I would love to go to Spain for sure. And not a long flight from Greece next time you go. Yeah, it might even be like traversable by car, depending on what part of Greece I'm in. So yeah, you never know. I mean, Europe luckily is very tightly knit. And yeah. Uh, I, I would love to visit Spain. Um, we would love for you fine folks at home to visit a location as well, but this is through digital means. Rachel, where can our listeners find us? 
We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the K-Cut, and if you want to join in our smorgasbord this month, our individual picks are Ratatouille, After Hours, and The Good Times Kid, and our collective is Of Time and the City. Amazing. So, what we're going to do to close off this episode is go through some weekly recommendations. Um, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Okay. Okay, so... Um... Part of the reason why I'm doing this is because a very big event happened in the last week, uh, particularly as a Canadian, I'm kind of feeling this. And that was, of course, the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II after 70 years of, of service on the throne. And so naturally, you want to reflect back on the Queen's life and the things that she did. And one excellent movie with an excellent lead performance about a very, very critical period in her reign was The Queen, which stars Helen Mirren and focuses on the events surrounding the death of Diana, Princess of Wales. Um, you, As we all know, Mirren won an Oscar. She was great in it, and it is a fine film. Um, very focused biopic. I feel like that basically catapulted her into her renaissance and her, the, like the... Uh... The height of her career outside of television was Prime Suspect. Um, like everybody was like aware of Helen Mirren, and she was like untouchable at that point. Mm-hmm. James, what about you? Uh, so I'm going to go with a film called Bomb the System. It is a movie from the early 2000s, and it is the first major fictional feature film about graffiti artists since Wild Style. Or at the time. I don't know if any other movie about graffiti writers came out. It's not the greatest film, but. I think like graffiti is definitely kind of like an undervalued part of hip hop culture, especially these days. And I don't know. I, I think it's just fun. If you're into art, I think you might like it like visual art. Fantastic. Well, well, easily enough for me, I brought up seven seal before that was the film I was going to pick. Um, I brought up one car. Why? So I'll pick up, uh, I'll recommend what that other fall fallback option is. Um, I would have also gone with Fallen Angels, which I'm going to go with right now. So Fallen Angels is a follow-up sister film to Chucking Express. Um, originally, Chucking Express was actually supposed to be a triptych type of film where there was like three different storylines. Um, but I think it was shaped maybe for timing. So basically, Fallen Angels picks up where Chucking Express drops off. But instead of being like sunny and kind of nostalgic feeling, Fallen Angels is a lot more dismal. And I feel like it takes place mostly at night but i feel like it really showcases like the like the architecture or i feel like it really shows the infrastructure and like the traffic and the city life of like hong kong and the heat of the night and i don't know chunking express is like one of my favorite films of his and i would say it's better than fallen angels but this for me is like Maybe not the dangerous parts of the film, but like part of it is like, wow, this is Hong Kong, and like this seems really, really badass. So um, that's kind of why I wanted to select it. Otherwise, that is the K cut. Thank you so much for listening. We are now going into the L cut. Mm-hmm.